Okay, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 166 with my guest, Nicole Lise. Uh, Nikki is a composer, a DJ, who lives in uh, Canada. We met Nikki a couple years ago. Um, she, we did a project with her called um, Dystopian Suite. And then we did another project a few years later called White Label Experiment. White Label Experiment, excuse me. And uh, Nikki's writing is really amazing, really really unique. I don't know how to describe it. I really suggest that you listen to her music, but also look at her scores, um, the way that she puts things together and her drum set writing in particular, at least in my experience, has been really interesting. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Nikki's great. So I hope you enjoy it. We'll talk to you soon. Without further ado, Nicole Lise. Take care. Bye. Nicole Lise, welcome to my podcast. I think um, we've been texting and emailing a bit about it since, I don't know, for a while, but you know, one thing leads to another, and uh, but we're here, and I have to get yeah. you to some some illegal celebrations um, with fireworks coming up. So I'll get you out of here as quickly as I can. But you're somebody that's been in the so sort of orbit. Um, you know, generally, I think about so's work with composers. I think about just the ecosystem that we traffic in on a daily basis. Um, predominantly, has been American composers. I think it's because of the, you know being in New York. We work with people who are just, you know, right over the subway ride. You know, you can just get on a, get on a tunnel and go see them. And that's been sort of our default. Um, but I think it was, uh, was it ecstatic music? What was it that put a, no, no, it was something in, in Mata. 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 It was the Mata, yes. yeah, that, that brought us together initially. Yeah. 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 And the, that was something also like our generation had this, not our generation isn't responsible for it, but there was this sort of like push to pair different ensembles, whether it be like, you know, so percussion is going to open for flying Lotus or Nikki Lise, who is, you know, composer in your own right, but also kind of in the DJ world, you're going to write something for percussion quartet. You know, you've written for percussion before, but we've never met. Let's pair it together. Um, You come from a background that has influences of a lot of the same strains of influences that so percussion has, and we met, and you wrote this piece called, I think it was called Dystopian Suite, is that right? Dystopia Suite. Dystopia Suite, yeah. excuse me, yeah. Um, yeah. for Percussion Quartet, and it had some of the craziest drum set writing I think I've ever seen. Oh, really? um, well, not not in terms of its difficulty, but just the way it was notated and the way it sounded was like this sort of like, when you step back and squint at it, it it looks like a thing, but when you get into it, you're like, oh my god, there's so much little things happening in there, All right. in, in these little beats, so... Anyway, just so folks have an idea of, of what – that's just all sort of a little preface to give folks an idea of where So and Us met. But would you mind just sort of for me, because I don't actually know you as a composer that well, short of the stuff we've done together. Um, can you just give me a little bit of a like nickel and dime tour of Nikki Lise? Uh, do you go by Nikki or is it Nicole? Which do you prefer? Nikki. Call me Nikki. Nikki. All right. Yeah. Just like where are you from? Yeah. What got you into doing what you're doing? And then we'll, we'll go. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean I – you know, listen to a lot of music from a really young age, everything. My parents had a huge record collection, but it was very specific genre and it, it was easy listening and soundtracks. And so I was, I grew up around, and it's crazy. That stuff is crazy. I still listen to, you know, some of it because it's tripped out and mm-hmm. it's, you know, I won't go into much detail about it, but it also mixed genres in every way. Soundtracks, of course, from the time we're talking 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. It's okay to nerd out a little bit. I mean, things like like yeah. Enoch, the Enoch Light Orchestra. Like, they are, right. they're sort of cheese ball a little bit, but if you're a nerd about this stuff and you're a nerd about, like, audiophile panning and yeah. audio imaging, it's like, that stuff's really, really innovative and cool. You know? It is. It is. So thank you for allowing me to nerd out because Please, I will. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, I just, like, the stuff... There was no, 
really, um, it was, it was, it doesn't get the, the credit it deserves much of it. And we're talking about things that, that do like Bert Bacharach and stuff that I really think is incredible stuff, the orchestration and things like that. But a lot of the soundtracks and stuff I was listening to, I mean, you listen to that with headphones and they, there's like, there's a high pitched women's choir doubling strings in the corner. And there's, you know, the, the, the reverb, which is just saturated, but maybe not in this year. And then there's a drum kit over there that changes tempo you know it's 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 crazy stuff so i grew up with that but also started listening to i also grew up my dad collects and and works and sells and and uh fixes electronic equipment Hmm. so and never maybe we've talked about this a little bit but never threw any of it away no i mean i wish i would have known that about you like i wish you would have been like hi i'm nikki and my dad repaired electronic equipment like i feel like i would have everything you've done would have made way more sense to me just up front like a a label (laughs) hi my dad yeah yeah (laughs) you know we have buttons for the pronouns but we also have buttons for like what our parents did for a living you know just to be like why not like let's get everybody on the same page here because when i look at your setup it is not Yes, there's DJ equipment. There's, you know, there's maybe a laptop or something, but like it's all pretty analog stuff and it's all taped together. And I can yeah. tell that you've sort of taken it apart and maybe rewired some things like, you know. Yeah, it, that's that's totally it, because everything I grew up around much of that period of, of time was there was a lot of progress, but a lot of things people it was great. People were were inventing things and trying things, but many things didn't work. Yeah. And my dad was sort of a beta tester for that. Yeah. And he would get all of this stuff. And much of it didn't work or it would work for a period of time, but it was analog. So it wouldn't die. It wasn't like digital where it would go from, you know, one to zero. It would, you know, it was a purgatory state, a state that it was, I would like calling it's, it the state of purgatory. I don't mean to interrupt yeah. you, but it is, it's something yeah. that I think didn't dawn on me that like analog stuff didn't decay in the way that digital stuff does decay. Like, um, uh, I learned about this with so percussion because we were doing a piece where we were all using a timer and Eric, was using a super old iPod and over the course of a minute, it would lose five seconds, but we didn't know. And we were doing this piece that was like 12 minutes long. And by the end, Eric is like playing for two more minutes longer than everybody else. We're like, what the hell are you Uh, doing? Analog is so, it's so sweet. But it's because there's literally a rock, a quartz inside of that, that is managing the time. And that stuff decays slowly over time. And it's just like, Oh, it's like, I don't know, like that, that idea, I think is just something that people need to realize is happening when you're looking at a guitar pedal versus uh, a plug-in, say, for example, yeah, you know, for sure. And, and that was the beauty of it. It's still to the very much to this day, even more, I have an emotional attachment to many of those machines. I mean, a lot of care was taken. Some of them had wood paneling, you know, they were beautiful to look at. And so they were no longer useful in the, in the sense they didn't follow the manual. And so they were just rejected and put in a landfill or whatever, but not at my house. We, we kept those and I would, because they made such great sounds um, and visuals, I, they were instruments to me. So I grew up around a lot of malfunction, a lot of you know, things that but You need to put that on a shirt. I grew up around a lot of malfunction. Another button, right? Yeah. But it and, and that just informed the way I I think and feel and 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 think about music and time and rhythm. So, um, and then you know, gradually I started listening to a lot of music. One of the machines that my dad got was a, a satellite dish in the early '80s, and all that meant to me was that I could get MTV. And MTV at that time was was crazy. It was music lovers making a channel that nobody believed in, and nobody knew nobody thought that music videos were making money. So it was all done in like 
it was really, ex- there, were, there were experiments going on. So this was like 81, 82, mm-hmm. you know, the very early 80s. And it just exposed me to um, a lot of just different kinds of, of music, different kinds of, I started playing drums. I got a drum kit at age mm-hmm. 13 after making my own kit and, and, you know, forcing my parents to give me whale on like ice cream, like big tubs of ice cream that you could get, right? We would go mm-hmm. through, like, I shouldn't probably admit that my family got through no, tubs of ice cream. But they made, you know, and I would assemble these into a, a rocking kit. But then eventually got my own kit. So I started playing drums and listening to, that. at that time I was into metal. and But I came from New Wave and I still loved listening to those soundtracks. And then I got into like um, even even heavier metal, like like thrash metal. And what metal? I mean, you said metal now twice. Be more specific. Yeah. Tell me some bands. Okay, own, well, up, okay, own up to so, it. Well, well, we're going to get into this this awesome argument of what what is actual metal oh, but, I, no, you're not going to get that argument with me i'm just oh, you know no, like, I, I want to fight oh, oh well we can fight I'll, I'll pretend i know what i'm talking about <laughs> oh, okay well okay so metal i'm talking about you know 1984 1985 mm. so the stuff that was going on in la and people will call it hair metal but i will fight them because at that time it was great stuff before it became formulaic and sort of copied which is what happens things just go downhill when that's happened but at the mm. time they were all they all came from different place they they weren't copying anything they didn't have an audience for it and just created the sound so i'm talking motley Crue mm-hmm. and rats and van halen and then i got into iron maiden and judas priest and then um eventually once you know the 87 88 when it started to become derivative i was like i'm no longer interested started getting getting into rush and started getting into uh megadeth and metallica and slayer and all that stuff mm. And then once that started getting copied, then I got into stuff more, you know, Sonic Youth, um, the Manchester scene that was going on. I was really into scenes. I was in a small town. So mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I was very isolated, but was fortunately able, you know, with connections through through MTV. I was just sort of information was beamed in and I made it's what I could of it. It's interesting know? just uh, just from a data point perspective, like I, I think about, you know, um, we were a little more cloistered off in the eighties in terms of what our, like the, the difficulty it took for an influence to seep in, like for my town, the the amount of effort it took for, you know, Metallica to make it to my town is just different than the amount of effort it takes now for something to make it into a town. Um, I grew up, I played, you know, it was Metallica, Sepultura, Slayer, Pantera, Poison was a bridge too far. Although secretly, okay. I well, love Poison. You know, I wasn't. I didn't. I don't have any hate in my heart for Poison. But the band I was in was never going to play on Skinny Bob. You know, that was selling out. Um, yeah. And it, you know, it's just. Yeah, I don't know what it is about being a high school kid in maybe Ohio or you know in LA or whatever. But like, yeah, metal seems to be the. It's like the only thing. It's rebellion. It's like anger, and it's you're sort awesome. of like lost in general. Just like I have armpit hair now, and I'm feeling feelings yeah. I never thought, and, and I'm just like Pandera. You know, like, yeah, I, have, yeah, I don't sure. even understand it's the lyrics. I'm just sort of like anger. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would sit. I was like 14, and I would sit with those lyrics. The first time I got Master of Puppets, and sit with those mm-hmm. lyrics, and I had you know whatever. I'd come from what. It, the stuff I was listening to before, like Guns N' Roses and everything, but mm-hmm. I and Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden, those lyrics are mind blowing. No matter you know, <laughs> why even now late at night, holy shit, you know. But yeah. um, but those those lyrics in Metallica, like reading those lyrics, everything about it was just it took mm-hmm. me down a different portal. Mm-hmm. It was a way to engage my brain very differently, and it was like very much about rage and like yeah, just just it was okay to just be loud 
and and rock out and uh you know well as a drummer <laughs> as a drummer listening to this stuff you said you got your first how old were you when you first got your drum set I was 13. You were 13. So, and were you listening, was it metal drumming that was sort of influencing you or, or were you, were there other styles of drumming that were seeping in that were sort of, uh, I mean, for me, I learned to play drums by playing along to Metallica. I also learned by Weezer and Pearl Jam. So I, it wasn't a like clean line for me in terms of what I was listening to, but um, yeah. what, who were you listening to as a drummer where you were like, whoa, that's awesome. Yeah, I was at age 13. I was definitely listening to, uh, well, Tommy Lee from Motley Crue. I was listening to Lars Ulrich and mm-hmm. Metallica. I was also a really big, a big Stuart Copeland fan. Mm-hmm. I, I I loved all the, even like Roger Taylor from Duran Duran, because I was mm-hmm. a big Duran Duran fan earlier. Mm-hmm. And all that stuff started to make sense. I would go back to that music because I'd listened to it so much, but listening to it as a drummer was very different. And mm-hmm. started getting into Led Zeppelin a little bit later. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Uh, even the Beatles, listening to those, those, those drum parts, listening to a Beatles track when you're 10 and just listening to the whole thing and then starting to separate it as you learn. I started learning guitar, got a guitar at 16. So then I started re-listening to all this stuff and listening differently each time mm-hmm. and learning, you know, learning parts. Uh, Rush was a big, big fan. I started learning drums. Those, Neil Perkins was a big uh, influence. Those, I try, you know. those early Beatles, Beatles records. I mean, I think there's a now remixes where you can just listen to the mono recordings and then you can listen yeah. to the studio versions. And it's like you could really learn the guitar part because you could just pan everything left and only hear the guitar, you know, like or you, or you yeah. pan everything right and it's just Ringo, you know. Um, uh, but well, so for you, as you were listening though, what uh, I mean, I when I think of like if somebody says like, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you say Nicole Lise, I say DJ, really quick. Like when and that does that's not proof that that's true. That's just what comes to mind for me because that's how I was introduced to you, other than your right. your composition side. Um, and I think I learned about you being a drummer after you, after I learned about you being a DJ and a composer. So okay. that just in terms of my perception of reality, knowing that yeah. that's not always true. In fact, it rarely is true. Um, <laughs> uh, when did the, when did sort of DJing and well, actually let me ask, when did DJing and composing come into your life and how, I mean, cause being a drummer is one thing. I, I'm a drummer. I know what that's like, but composition just never crossed my field of vision as like, yeah, I want to do that. Like it just never was yeah. a thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So the, the DJ, actually the, the turntables and stuff came before in a weird way because it's tied into the machines that mm. my dad and many of those were turntables. And I would use those as well, make sounds from turntables without knowing what was going on at the time. Mm. I, you know, not in the same way. I was, I didn't have a crossfader. So I didn't have the same equipment, but I had a turntable and a record mm. and would make these, you know, scratches and, and, and sounds between, and record them onto like a, a boom box and stop them and start them. And slow. so that, that sort of happened there. And then I started hearing about, um, turntables and it was coming out of New York City in the, in the late 70s. I remember seeing a special on it and thought, this is incredible. And um, that was then I was, yeah, that sort of started things even at that young age, even though I didn't have the equipment, but I had my dad's proper working stereo equipment that I could, I could use the volume knob in, in much mm-hmm. the same way, mm-hmm. but I didn't have a crossword. But so the, D, the DJ stuff didn't really develop into something that I could, that was, uh, really progress at it beyond that sort of those sort of malfunction years yeah. until uh probably my early 20s and i started i always knew i wanted to write i wanted i felt turntables and a dj belonged completely in concert music and the composition thing you know sort of happened i just 
Wait, so you felt, wait, sorry, I didn't interrupt. You felt that way. Yeah. But was that, be, were you, was, was that a feeling that you just naturally had and got no pushback on? Or did you feel that way because yeah. somebody told you early on, like, this is never going to happen. And you were just like, well, screw you. I'm going to do it. No, no. All of the pushback was, you know, the pushback in, in small town was pretty, you know, constant in many ways. I mean, I was like a girl drummer. I was into metal. I was into skateboarding for a while. You know, all these things. So, and then in, in the turntables, nobody knew what, that was never mainstream at the time. Mm-hmm. Not so much, much later, even, you know, like, well later. Um, so I always, but I always, all these machines that included turntables, I always, they never went away. I would, I still have a lot of them. My, my dad never threw them out. Mm-hmm. I accumulated them. And always, as I was, you know, while I was growing up, of course, I, threw, I listened and played piano and listened to classical music. But for me, all these sounds just belong together. And so when I started writing writing notes down, um, I, I just wanted these these sort of sounds to, to belong together, to, mm. to melt. And it just seemed it was a very organic kind of development. Well, how how did you as a just as a composer? I mean, this is something that you know I have enough insecurity and anxiety when somebody asks me to improvise, and that's like. You know, I had a good discussion with a friend of mine, Jank Ergun, and we were talking about improvising versus composing and how they're like two different things and never, it, as far as he's concerned, never the two should cross, you know. Okay. Um, not saying that's that's not my view either. That's not my view, but we, it was a great discussion. But when I'm asked to improvise, I feel like I'm being asked to create, and that's a whole load of anxiety and baggage. I just, quite frankly, at 40, I'm, I've, I'm more comfortable saying like, nope. <laughs> talk to somebody else like i don't have yeah. the time to deal with that yeah um so but as a composer like it's a similar mindset i imagine like you write something it's yours you've thought about it and then you give it to somebody else and then they have to make they have to make it come to life what was the first experience for you where you had like when was that for you where you made something and you didn't know what it was going to sound like until you handed it to somebody oh that would have happened i guess that would have happened uh anything i wrote I would play myself or record straight to cassette mm. or make these mm. albums and, you know, and then, so, uh, undergrad, I guess, uh, wrote a string quartet. I think that was my first, my first piece was a string quartet or, or maybe a, a violin and piano do around the same time. I just decided I'm going to, you know, I went in, when I went into my undergrad, there was no composition. Where was this had, at again? Remind me. This was in Brandon, Manitoba, Brandon university. Okay. So, uh, in Manitoba, so one province over from where I, I grew okay. up. It was nothing, and I had sent in my my audition tape was both piano, and I had sent in a bunch of my my compositions that mm. I had done in my my you know cassette um, extravaganzas and stuff. Yeah, um, you know, drums and everything. Um, and then there was nothing, so I had to wait a couple of years. So I studied piano. I did piano uh, performance there, mm. the piano as a major. And so you know, third year. Composition um, is, is an option, so I, had, I, I started uh, writing. You know, started writing and and going to composition classes that were suddenly suddenly available. So that would have been the first time. And I can't, you know, the, the, the I guess my reaction was, I don't know. That's it's so crazy talking about that. It's like, that's so. That was such a long. It must have ago. gone well enough that you continued to do it. Well, I, you know, I think like so. I guess that's my yeah, question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. I, it's crazy. You're asking this. I don't remember. 
I think, I think, yeah, I think it was, uh, you know, I think at that time, I do remember thinking, holy shit, composition's in, we can do this, you know, it's okay now. And uh, just sort of diving into it and doing, and just sort of putting blinders on and doing my thing. Well, so, can yeah. you talk a little bit about just, um, you know, you're, you are a performer, you, I mean, you, you're, uh, and by and large, I would say, you know, DJ is uh, predominantly a solo life, um, unless there's DJ ensembles I'm not aware of, and I'm not going to assume that there's not. But um, how has your art making just personally um, changed in your work with other human beings? I know, like, you know, being in the room with us uh, and hearing stuff come to life. You know, when you worked with us, it wasn't your, this, this was not your first rodeo. You had, you know, it's like you knew how things were going to work by and large, but how, how did you, how do you, sorry, I don't know how to ask the question. How do you make compromises in your own art when you're working with human beings um, who are in the room that maybe don't, you know, maybe it's, I don't know. Like, I don't, I, there's not a clear question here, Nikki. I, I apologize, but I guess how, how do you work with other people and make your your music that in your head is perfect and makes sense, and then you you put it in, in in humans' hands, and all of a sudden you have to compromise or make decisions. How do you personally approach that when you're walking in the room? Yeah, that's a great question, and 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 a multifaceted one because it wasn't a it was de- definitely um, a, a process uh, in that not that I, I think. I can say from the from the very start, uh, my sort of perception of what composition was 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 maybe not, and I knew this. I mean, the feedback, you know, I'm thinking because of your question earlier. Now I'm thinking, those, what happened those days? But I do remember I had ideas, and they weren't necessarily the uh, normal ideas for an institution for an undergrad. I just need to and let that, my, that, I need to let my dog in real quick. She's it's storming. Oh yeah, it's, sto- it's storming here, and she's freaking out. Like I told you, okay. second. give me one oh, second. Sorry. <laughs> Come on, Come on, sweetie. I know it's so scary out there. I'm talking to my friend Nikki. Okay, here we are. <laughs> All right, we're all safe inside the office. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Is is your is he she okay? Is everything? Oh yeah, they're both fine. They just um, okay. Anya is uh, Sasha's under my desk right now, and uh, okay. so I've been petting her this whole time. She's the one that freaks <laughs> out. Anya Anya's more of the like I'm so worried about Sasha. That's like where her anxiety comes. So Anya is just sort of in the room making sure everybody's oh, okay but uh, i had no idea that was going on that's like drama going on in trying to hide my drama below the zoom drama. Yeah. <laughs> continue sorry about that yeah so um from the very beginning my ideas for what constituted composition was very different i did want drum kits in there i mm. did want tur- turntables in there and i met with some resistance from from a very from very early on and, you know, I'm asked this, how did you, because I went to McGill after and did a, my thesis was a turntable concerto. And that was, mm-hmm. it sort of divided the faculty. They, you know, part of the faculty thought, yeah, this is, you know, this is, I devised a notation and this is what um, contemporary music should be moving forward. And I certainly felt that. Um, but there was, of course, members of the faculty who felt it was not serious music. This is, you know, just frowned upon, just frowned upon. Um, but I did it, and I was able to put blinders on um, throughout, actually, my, my life, not to get overly, you know, dramatic, mm-hmm. but, it, but it's the only way to, to explain how it is, you know, the chamber music with turntables, chamber music with malfunctioning instruments. Uh, yeah, there was, there was definite, you know, having a conductor conduct uh, a turntablist 
And while knowing, trying to explain that, you know, it's, they're feeding off each other because of the record also has innate tempos in there. And so there has to be a back and forth, which makes it, gives it its magic, right? For me, that's, that's mm-hmm. the most interesting part. Some things are going to be slightly slower. I'm going to write that in the score. I mean, we're going to be, we're going to be record juggling. That's going to be written in the score and the tempos are going to be slightly, there's not going to be something, uh, it's not going to make sense. I'm not going to writ to that, or it's not going to be gradual. It's going to be immediate. And so I think with all of this, I just had to stand. And, and I remember people call, you know, at the very beginning calling me and saying, this is, this is impossible. This drum part is impossible or whatever. And I, I learned to just say, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to change it. And that happened years and years ago. Mm. And then they would, I would hear back from them like, yeah, I just, it's, it's, you know, it's not impossible. Yeah. It's just different. It's not drum like just like, yeah. you know, keeping time. It's not, you're, you, you know, I love that. You know, I understand and appreciate the history of drum and its function, but that's not what I, what I wanted to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think once that sort of, you know, was understood, I just had to keep doing that. And because I had ideas and that's all that meant, that's all, it has to be meaningful for me to go through that much work. That's all, you know, so I really had to just keep my, um, the blinders on and, and keep going. So in things like situations, like when you, you know, um, playing with people, the play, the performing with people actually um, happened a little bit later. People would ask me uh, to perform with them. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's an interesting, that's a sort of an interesting dimension to live performance and composition as well, because mm-hmm. I have to prepare my own part yeah. and I have to learn it. You know, I have to send that part to me and I have to learn it. And it's interesting. I do, I, I do it quite often now, like, a lot where I play perform in my own band, my own pieces and and that sort of thing. And it just, it's a, it's a cool way of many things, cool way of, of achieving that, that goal with everybody on stage. Mm -hmm. It's different when you're out in the, in the audience, it's not better or worse. It's just very different where you're there in the greater, for the greater good of, of trying to make this happen and you enter in a dimension with everybody. And there's this, it's a whole other universe. And, and sometimes, you know, trying to articulate that with people, what we've just been through because often I'll do, especially, you know, in recent years, um, multimedia shows where like, that last 90 minutes, some of them, and we go through this. I mean, there's breaks and things mm-hmm. very calculated, but it's, you know, it's an adventure and we'll I- get to the end of that. We've all been through something and, you know, it's, there's something about being in the audience and, and experiencing that. You know, as you, you're but, in, you're in the sort of like when I, uh, the way I build respect with people or the, the way I respect people or the way people build trust with me, you know, it's different person to person, but by and large, like you can build trust and respect with me really quickly. If you're willing to take ownership of stuff with me, like I'm not asking you to take complete ownership, but just get up here and take the punches with me. And like, you're one of those people, Caroline Shaw, Dan Truman, Steve Reich. Like these are all people who are willing to get up and be like, well, I wrote this crazy thing. Uh, you know, I'm going to play with now. You know, maybe you're not a performer as a composer, but I wonder if there should be like a rule that we pass that's like, um, if you if it's the world premiere of your work, you at least have to sit on a chair on stage. Oh man! Like just that's, you have to just yeah. sit there with your hands on your lap, and yeah, yeah. And, and deal with the, the consequences too. Like you can't hide in the fifty third row and wait for yeah. your bow. Like that's not the that's not the agreement we, we're going to have. Um, yeah. I just wonder how much respect between players and composers would just skyrocket because of just the simple, like shared experience of that horrifying feeling 
of presenting a work that is brand new, you know, even when it goes well. It really is. And I'll I'll say, I continue, I, you know, and again, it's just for myself, putting myself in those positions, which I firmly believe in. Um, And I'll say to myself, you know, I've been there when I first did a a notated, just precise DJ, you know, parts that I was like, what the the hell am I doing? What am I thinking? You know, and there's, you know, and, but, that is what it's all about putting going those positions putting myself in those positions with everyone and and going through that experience and coming out and it it, it, it again hard to articulate just what goes um what goes into that to prepare mm-hmm. is you know is 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 something to be it's a journey it's but i fully believe in it even when i first started doing multimedia i'm not trained in in i'm not a, I, I taught everything self-taught in all the film I do, but it films, uh, shooting, editing, everything. Yeah. And just decided, uh, there's a big show coming. This was like in the early two thousands. Oh, I'm, I'm going to, um, it's gonna be multimedia. I'll do it. And I just immersed myself sleepless nights, of course, pains, it's painful. And, but that's like, that is under getting deep into something. And that's mm-hmm. something, you know, that makes it, it go, it gets into a place in your head that not to get all, you know, no. <laughs> I have a little bit quarantine brain, so you know. We're I listen. We're all traumatized with this quarantine, so no, yeah. no judgment on this end so, in terms of where you, how your yeah. brain's working. Thanks, yeah. thanks, Josh. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't even know what I've asked you this at this point. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember anything I've said. So it's okay. you asked me these questions. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's just that's what makes it worthwhile doing these. Yeah. You know, why would I go through you go through the pain in the '90s of putting a turntables together with a classical orchestra? Because it's, I it's worth it. it you know, it's it's emotions. Or it's, it's it's universes that I want to go to, and I and I think that way writing those things, but I also think that way playing those things, going through an experience that will change that will change you. I think art or music is like that. Is I don't. It may sound a little, I don't know, sappy or whatever, and mm-hmm. maybe I'll get my ass kicked. <laughs> but it's you know whatever. No, I'm yeah. joking. Um, I think getting, I when I go back to my small town, but. getting as close to whatever experience, I mean, I think the level of respect you have for something, uh, the potential for that, it, that respect to go, to go up increases the closer you get to the actual thing that it is that you're influenced by. So like, if you love chamber music, that's awesome. Like go to a concert, like ask yourself, how do you feel about the New York, Philadelphia or the, sorry, the New York Philharmonic, uh, um, Philharmonic. Sorry, yeah. I see quarantine brain. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about the New York Phil? Oh, they're great. Cool. I've only been to one show and I sat in the 103rd row. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to bump you up to the 50th row. Now what do you think? Okay, it was, that was cool. It was louder. You know, it was awesome. We're going to put you in the front row. Holy smokes, that is crazy. How loud. Okay, now we're going to put you on stage right by the Mahler hammer. Yeah. And when yeah. that thing hits yeah. and the organ comes <laughs> in, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, it's not that you, th- you know, you, that you think like – the Mahler hammer player should all of a sudden be an essential worker during a pandemic lockdown. But your respect for that music is always like, Oh, okay. Like, okay. It's a different thing. I didn't realize that. You know, it's so true. It just, yeah, it's definitely, yeah. Breaking the, the like the fourth wall and then, you know, like right. you just went and, and that's, that's every, that's everything. I mean, one of the things, just a, a little note, when I, when I, I decided when I was my undergrad, now I didn't play percussion, I played drums. But I decided to play um, orchestral percussion. 
And they gave me and my friend, who's a, also a pianist, the, the, the part. So we got all these orchestral parts. I've never played, I've never seen a part before. I don't know what counting measures is. I don't know anything, mm -hmm. but we did it. And I'm sitting back there with all these instruments I've never seen before, learning how to play them. Like I went and scrambled and learned how to play this. Yeah. And I'm like, this is the best. I've never, I don't, I've never seen this before in my life. And it's incredible to be behind the brass and they're counting measures and I'm counting measures and waiting, you know, waiting for cues and playing, cra like playing crash cymbals in the middle of a, a Shostakovich symphony, like one note. And that's, it's a crazy thing, but that's like an experience that, and, and I'm, you know, screwed up, screwed up a lot because I couldn't, but I learned like a ton of stuff, but it's a perspective. I saw music differently. I heard music differently hmm. and had, and, and formed this uh, bond with the musicians that was way different, but for sure informed, definitely informed my, my way going forward. The, the, the experience in that scenario that is one of a kind in an orchestra, in an ensemble or on stage with mm -hmm. you guys when you're all set up and I'm there and I'm looking, <laughs> holy shit, why, you know, why do I continue to use this machine that breaks down 50% of the time? But it's working today. It's all, it's all you know, and seeing all you guys, it, it's, it's magical. It's like, why do it's I just, continue to ask the percussionist to get typewriters that consistently jam? Yeah. <laughs> And ask them to play fast rhythms on them. Sometimes it won't jam, and then they, it, it, you guys play them fast. And it's like that's just so that's the shit. It's so it, it's yeah, it's adrenaline. It's highs, and it's going yeah, it's just going to that other place. Well, like, can can you talk a little bit about? I mean, when you talk about your writing and it, the initial pushback you got from oh, this is too hard or whatever. Um, I mean, I think I, 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 it would be disingenuous of me to not or to say that I didn't have a same instinct when I get when I get your music, I'm like, Oh my God, there's so many notes. Like, but again, like I have to work through my, like my feelings about this aren't proof of anything just because it, I feel like this is hard. That doesn't mean it's hard. So like, what is this? When you zoom in on your music, I feel like, um, and again, this is a broad brush, Nikki. So slap me hard. If you, if you disagree here, um, that loops are a fundamental, one of the fundamental tools by which you build things. Um, um, taking some sort of pattern, no matter how how much minutia is in that pattern, you can always keep zooming out further before, and then you'll eventually find the loop. You know what I mean? Like your drum set writing, you can look at three beats and be like, "There's nothing that repeats." And you got to keep, oh, it's a nine beat phrase, and then this other one's like, "Oh my god, that's a twenty four beat loop," or whatever. Um, and it's really helped me learn your music and be less afraid of it. Uh, I guess my question is: Is that true? Am I anywhere remotely in the ballpark? And if so, um, can you just talk about that for a second? Loops. I mean, because I've heard some people be like, if you loop anything, that means you don't have an original idea. So, uh, you know, it's like, well, I, I mean, I've heard people say it. Composition okay. teachers have said it. Um, and it is a thing. It's like, you should never repeat a bar, you know. Um, right, but right. I'm not asking you to defend your position here. But just like, why? why is loops important to you? Are loops important to you? And if so, why? Wow. Um First of all, there are no loops in my music. And I, I, I'm constantly wondering why you keep looping, playing the same thing over and over in every performance. No, oh, my God. Okay. Oh, Nikki. Oh, Nikki. Look, Nikki. Oh. Hey, I've go. been in a quarantine. I'm too weak for this, Nikki. You can't say that. That's, 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 that's all I got, man. Loop, loop joke. Um, that's a funny thing because I remember this coming up like there was some sort of thing, uh, article or it was before blog. So this was in the nineties mm. when there was the argument that everything, new music, um, 
especially certain kind in, in academia mm-hmm. where it, everything had to be pre-composed, right. which got to, you know, you, you don't repeat anything. And then there was like, this was so long ago, but I remember there was an argument as well. I mean, you go back to, you go back to the beginning of music and repetition is a, is a, is a, is a, is a skill learning how to repeat something, when to repeat, you know, I think that the simply, I've a bit of a problem calling uh, leaving music either through composed and, 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 and composers have said this. I, I, there are no melodies in my music. I don't compose. I, I don't, I don't uh, repeat anything, you know, but that years and years ago. So I'm trying to, to, to sort of zoom in on this again, mm-hmm. but, but going from that to minimalism, which some people can just reduce to being, mm-hmm. Oh, it's just repetition over, which I, I, I don't agree with that either. I don't think music, I don't also think music or any art can be reduced. Well, but this is especially true of music where it can be sort of reduced to easy hard. Well, or, but it's like, it's, like, it's like saying like, I mean, it's a little bit like if you're, if you like cooking and you're like, well, I love making um, a really complicated soup because there's all these ingredients I like to marry, but I hate making whipped cream because that's just boring. It's like, well, hold up a second. Like, wait a minute. What you're saying is boring because you hate doing this over and over again. But do you see what you make with it? Like, yeah, like you exactly. made something rad that wasn't existing before. And that's like when I hear people bag on Steve Reich as being like – or Lamont Young or Terry Wright. It's like this is the same thing over. So hold up a second. No, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head except yeah, look at this exactly. crazy whipped cream that Steve Reich made that wasn't there before. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> – Yeah. I mean, it, there's so much to say about that, and I want I want to be able to articulate using my 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 pandemic my, my brain here, but because there's so many, yeah, I do I do repeat, but uh, I don't repeat for the sake of repeating. It's not because um, I have nothing else. <laughs> I can't think of anything. Well, they're else. not they're not easily perceivable well, loops. I guess is my point. Well, like you have to look yeah. a little harder I, from a performance well, I, standpoint. Yeah. I feel like I've had to do that, you know. But they're there. I think- yeah, I think when with the discussion, the argument for repetition, first of all, has to begin with what is chosen to be repeated, what goes into mm-hmm. that material. And I'll tell you a great deal. You know, when writing a, a, a drum, uh, drum material, uh, I do want it to be, to be interesting for me. I want it to be interesting for the players. I want it to reflect how I feel, what drums, what the place of drums in chamber, in chamber music. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's lost in its its cliche function, well, cliche is a pejorative, it, not a cliche, but what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah. So I want to find a pl- you know, I want to find a place for that, but more more so a place for that material in fully integrated with what who who else is on stage. It's not just random. You know, there's this going on, there's this, but there's also this, and the way it's repeated. I will you know there's a there's a reason for repetition. I mean, why did any composer choose to you know repeat the the theme or what is it what is it for and in any in any form of art in film as well i mean i think of of film why bring back you know characters what does it do to the what does it do and it's it just it it's essential it's hard to pinpoint exactly but it's it's essential in building uh for me and not to say that I, i mean i have i have written some, something that I could, I could consider through composed and it's, it is what it is, but it's not really an either or it, my choosing to repeat something is, is for it to sort of 
travel, to get somewhere else, you know, because what is bookended? What is it surrounded by? What somebody is perhaps um, repeating, but somebody is not, somebody's, you know, so there's this, what is happening over top? What is sort of superimposed over top of this? Mm-hmm. So for example, white label experiment where you guys are repeating, but there's, you're out of, I'm int- using interlocked records mm-hmm. and they also repeat, right? That's the epitome of repeating because it's over and over and over. But the whole experience as a whole, we have to stand back and and um, zoom out and realize that you guys are one record, you guys are forming one record, or three of you are, and one of you is yet another record that's out of sync. You guys are focusing, you know, to, to stay in, in to stay together. Somebody else is fitting over top of that, and I'm completely out with you, but in with myself, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And so it's you know these these. I think it's a bigger picture than saying music repeats or doesn't repeat because it's, there's more, you know, yeah. what is its overall function? Where does it travel to? What is the, the, the linear fun? Where does, yeah. Where do you arrive? And do you arrive at a place because of what just happened? I mean, mm-hmm. it's not just the same thing from beginning to end. It, it, it paints, it's like a painting. A, 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 it's like, narr- a there's like, it's like a portal portal. Yeah. That serves as a portal. I mean, your portal is there, and you want to enjoy. You want to enjoy the portal. The portal has something in it, but you are the portal is a, a place to another. You know, a, a way to travel to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And because you went through that portal, you've arrived at this this place. So they all sort of impact each other. I think it. It. it uh, you know, I. I don't. I've been thinking a long time about sort of this this sort of thing too, and it, and it, I'm, I'm not saying I've what where I'm at now is the solution, but it feels like I like to think of it as like narrative momentum, like the way there's inevitability that if a composer can build in repetition in a way that is just thoughtful enough. And then if the performer can realize that repetition in such a way that the inevitability is inherent in that, I mean, cause you know, you can, you can build in all of the build up all you want, but if I just take it, I'm just like, Oh, it's boring. And then I just sort of like, Phone, oh, yeah. phone it in, then then the, the momentum is lost. Um, and I think too, it's like if you've got a, I feel like your music is like yes, there's little moments of like if you zoom in, there's a million different things that are constantly looping. But when you step out and you look at, if you just stopped at any moment and we're like, okay, cool, this is where everything lines up, and then you just press play again, everything's looping, and you press stop again, boom, nothing in that second cross section is going to be the same as the one prior. So therefore, yeah. you're not repeating. Like yeah. nothing is repeating. And that's like, that is some sort of macro, like, you know, it's a very meta, like you're sort of more meta than meta when you step back and zoom out that like, yes, your whole thing is made up of repeating loops, except nothing's actually repeating on the grand scale, which is kind of yeah. awesome. And I mean, white label experiment, you mentioned this, like there's two drum set parts that have these loops that are cycling around a million times. You have, I'm playing a record that I don't know if you pre, I don't think you predetermined what record or you had some recommendations maybe. No, it was all, Oh, the one that you play. Yeah. I left that one. Yeah. 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 I left that and one. And I think originally it was the Wilhelm scream by yeah. uh, James yeah. Blake. It was. But I don't remember. Maybe it was Brahms the last time we hung out. I can't remember what, which record it ended up being. <laughs> but, right. You know, I, you know, <laughs> okay. 
But it is this thing that I think the ecosystem, like you build, you're really good at building an ecosystem within a piece where there is like this neighborhood of instruments that just like to take it back to your dad, like this, like there's this ecosystem of things that are constantly malfunctioning. <laughs> Yet it's yeah. their, their, their coinciding malfunctions that sort of allow the thing to propel itself forward. I don't, that's the worst way to describe it. Um, well, it isn't at all. I mean, it makes total sense because, yeah, or I've described it actually before as like gears and pulleys. When you look, mm. when you open up, it's actually go, looking because, again, growing up, I grew up around and I have some books and books of schematics and insides of televisions and mm. looking at them. They were the innards were all over the place always because my dad would fix fix these. So I'd see these devices that I'm used to, you know, seeing them face forward as a consumer should, but then seeing them with their innards spilled out is beautiful. It's just gorgeous. All these schematics and the way, and that's what it's necessary to make the narrative on the front. What you're experiencing is mm. all of this. And there's the, you know, repetition of, you know, there's things repeat. You have a, you know, things look a certain way. There's a, there's a, a series of, of connections that repeat for a while. And then and it's necessary for, for its function. And then, you know, it slowly goes into a different, another pattern, another, you know, so I look at it as the innards or what's necessary. And it's, it's completely referencing what you just said. I feel your poor dad. I feel like, you know, if your dad, I wish parents could have the, like, you know, the foresight to be like, uh, Hey kid, I brought home all this weird stuff. And you were like, daddy, (laughs) am I going to write music that no one's going to understand later? And I'm going to get pushed back on because of that, because of all these schematics. And if he could just tap, pat your head and be like, yes, honey, but you'll be okay. Like, 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 (laughs) it's just such a weird sort of like dot to connect to be like, Oh my God, your music is making so much sense to me knowing that you grew up looking at the insides of TVs, you know, (laughs) I'm revealing truth. I'm revealing so much. I said too much. No, it's so great. It's, it's, yeah, this is, I wish we had started here. I think, I, I yeah, think, well. you know, um, we may not, not that I've misunderstood you at all, but it's like, I feel like these, we would have had this conversation six years ago or seven years ago, whenever it was that we first yeah, met. Yeah, yeah. I, um, it's really, this has been helpful, Nikki. I really appreciate you sort of well, I'm glad doing a deep, deep dive here. Um, yeah. you have, you have some illegal fireworks to get to. So I'll, I'll, I want to, I want to, I want to get, smoke, was like, I know 46 minutes and it's just gone. Um, I will say one of the things that um, I want to advocate for people, if you ever feel like you couldn't sit down and turn your phone off and have a conversation unscripted for an hour, I think you'd be surprised at how quickly an hour goes by. Um, I think I highly recommend that everybody in the world at least take some chunk of your week and just put your phone down and talk because time flies. Um, well, Nikki, yeah. this has been awesome. I really, I mean, there's no way in 47 minutes that we're going to, we're going to hit everything that is important in your life and what it is you're working on. But so I just want to tell you the door is open. Um, I, you know, I will do my best to reach out and invite you back on, but if you've got something you want to talk about or a project you're working on, or you just want to sit and stare at each other for 47 minutes, happy to do it. You know where to find me. Um, but where can folks learn more? Like if, if somebody's listening to this and it's like, Oh man, I had no idea. Nikki Lise even was a thing. What, where could they find more out about you and sort of what, what you're working on and, and your works and things like that? Well, there is, uh, there's a, there are several things on YouTube, you know, I, so just type in, type my name, some stuff, you guys show up there and like, yeah, there's a lot of things there. I have a website uh, with some link. Yeah. So, so there's some, it's a little outdated currently, but, um, yeah, audio visual stuff, um, so just on the interwebs is the way is to it Nikki uh, Lise, Nicole Lise.com or yeah, 
that I should provide that information. Yes. Nicole is okay. Yes. N- so N I C O L E L I Z E L I Z E.com. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, enjoy your freedom today, Nikki. Yeah. You go celebrate. Right. You go celebrate and, and do it upright. Um, and I, I'm very grateful for your time. I really, really appreciate it. I learned more than I thought I was going to learn about, about you and your music. And that's why I do this. So thank you for that. I really, really am grateful. Oh, it's my pleasure. I loved it. It was so great. And I would, I would do it again. Whoa. Oh my. All right. I think mama's home. So, um, yeah, I think mommy's home. So now they're feeling a little rambunctious. So Nikki, All right. thank you for your time. Be safe, be well, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks, Josh. Take right. care. See you. Bye. Bye. Enjoyed that conversation. This podcast was brought to you by Liquid Drum, L I Q U I D R U M dot com, down in Waco, Texas. Hilarious percussion videos, good pedagogy, and, and fun merch. Check them out, liquiddrum.com. DunleavyPans.com, D U N L E A V Y Pans.com. Kyle makes and builds all the steel drums that I tune or that I perform and teach on. Uh, and he'll hook you up too. Check him out, DunleavyPans.com. And finally, my good friend Kendall Williams, Jerry Guy, Trisha Guy, Arisha John, amongst many others, run an organization called Pan in Motion. Uh, you can check them out at paninmotion.com. Okay, hope you're well. Hope you are all well. We'll talk to you soon.